Steph Junker. Wow. We've known each other for so long. 30 years or so. Scary to think of that. We met at university. Steph's always been an interesting person, kind of enigmatic, not quite been able to place it. Different way of thinking. And although you're always joking around and having fun and um, there's something a little bit deeper about you. We kind of picked that up because you're always curious. You're always asking questions. Your background, you were born in Belgium of Belgian parents, moved to South Africa in 1971 when you were six months old. Your father rode an old motorcycle to Russia when he was young and your older brother was even born in Algeria. So you're quite an international, to say the least. And already the spirit of adventure was already present in your family. You visited over 100 countries. You speak six different languages. So you've got a story to tell, right? So let's start with university and how we met and how you became a professional clown. Thank you very much, Cedric van den Skrik, a very firm friend of mine who is uh, much like I am a free spirit. We both live a life believing in the true values and the real things. Um, yeah, I have a very different way of thinking. Um, I like to keep the, the blinkers wide, wide open. I don't certainly want to be uh, somebody who's caged in a box or um, told, oh, okay, this is how you have to think. I really believe that what we are being indoctrinated or um, fed with uh, what the CNNs of the world are giving us is definitely worth a rethink. And that's maybe why I'm on this wicket here. That's, that's maybe where I've gotten to. Very often at a dinner or at a party, a one-on-one -on -one with a complete stranger, people will say, geez, you should write a book, Steph. You've got so many interesting concepts, so many things to tell. And I thought, oh, wow, a book, hey, that sounds like a massive thing for me. Although I love reading uh, 10 pages and I'm either falling asleep or uh, my ADHD version X is uh, kicking in and I have to go and do something else and do another sport. Sid and I both have common need adrenaline every day, need to get out. So we are definitely not caged birds. As you can tell from my travel spirits and my parents who have put it in my blood. I took an aeroplane for the very first time when I was nine years old. Uh, went through school with not too much enthusiasm, again, questioning the world and questioning the way of, of teaching and uh, was school right? Was that all the way to go? Uh, wasn't there something better? I uh, looked at other systems of, of teaching and, um, and I believe firmly, and this is an important one, that we have two kinds of people in the world. The people who A, couldn't give a rat's ass what you tell them because they know it all and you can't tell them anything more and it's in one ear and out the other. And you have the second kind of person the person who has to be fed, who has to have something in their brain every day. I choose my friends very carefully, people who are there to be able to stimulate you. And, and it's one of the big things with choosing your friends and the people around you. Be around people who are more intelligent than you, who, are, who you can gain something from. And the rest, have them close to you, but don't be too attached to them. So not a day goes by, I don't look something up on Wikipedia or study something, or when somebody says something to me, I'm actually making a note of it. Richard Branson long ago gave me the idea of making lists. I think they're mega important. <laughs> well, it's, uh, I guess it's consciousness and curiosity. They need to go together and uh, they make a great combination. You know? So how do you go from university to being a clown? University, I didn't know what I wanted to study. So just a few weeks before university was due to start, I was on a road trip with a friend and ended up in the city of Port Elizabeth. No idea what to do, but a campus right near the sea 
with the idea of marine biology suddenly sounded really great. So I was always into nature and biology, which is a pretty standard, nice thing for a young person to study. So started with marine biology, ended up my first degree doing uh, botany and geology as majors, uh, climbed into a, um, a BCom, a commerce degree with uh, economics and business economics as majors. Along with that, some statistics, industrial psychology, Spanish and German. But I did realize at university after my first year, just failing two subjects that that's, you know, a little bit of pissy work is not going to get you through university. So I changed my attitude and uh, even found myself in my third year at university doing all first year subjects again, kind of having a, a rethink and a, an opening wider and wider of this kind of thought pattern, which very stoked that I didn't just follow one way and become a mathematician in one one side and say, okay, maths one at university, I'm, I'll do that. And that's that's where my my, my world is going to get more focused. And um, obviously the story of Corona at the moment, I find a lot of people in each, be they a scientist, be they a doctor, be they fighting against each other. They are only looking at their world. Open up, open up people. So from university, a very strange thing happened to me. In my last year, somebody said to me, be a clown. And I said, what? Be a what? A clown, a professional clown. My mom. Well, you already were in, uh, in a special way, anyway. So. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Anybody who meets me will know that there's always a joke. There's always a prank. There's always something going on. There's never a dull moment. Uh, that's how I am. And I really live my life like that. It's not fake. It's not put on. It's not attention seeking. I really am somebody who joy around me. And I do wake up with a smile on my face every morning. Um, and if I wake up in the morning without a smile on my face, I analyze very deeply why I don't have my smile on my face. I address that and I sort that out before my day starts. That's quite an important one for people to think about. Um, so I became a clown. So I gave it a bash. I was in my last year at university, my fifth year, my final year. And I thought, let me try clowning. And the very first kid's birthday party was an absolute horror. Uh, kids pulling my wig off, kicking me in the nuts. Um, I thought, <laughs> I'm going to throttle some naughty little kid. But I persisted and I tried and I carried on. Much to my amazement, it uh, gained traction and it really became successful. So I had a clown agency in the shortest time. I realized that I need to clone myself. I need to create androids and have uh, copies of myself going out. But of course, you'd have clients who'd say, Ostia, you gave me Steffi the Clown's greatest show ever. Meanwhile, it was a very medium show for myself because my standards are very high when it comes to doing what I do. I'm a perfectionist at nothing. I don't want to be but when I give something balls, I give it proper balls. So I went and did these clown shows at nauseam, and then I created other clowns. And on my busiest day ever, I had an agency uh, with 52 functions entertainment that I organized on one day. It was myself and a friend who was a kind of secretary helping out uh, part-time. But we had clowns from one clown to 12 clowns at functions, 52 different functions we had clowns at on one day. So that was within three, four years of even starting clowning. I was 22, 23 years old, so I bought my first property because it sounded like the right thing to do. I've never been somebody to show the BMW I drive. I give a rat's ass. This very shirt I'm wearing is a, bought at a secondhand sale for five euros, and um, I'm happy like that. I think that the clothes that we wear and the cars we drive are completely uh, unimportant. If you are doing a podcast unshaven with a floppy hat on, or if you are dressed in your suit, sure, you look a bit better in your suit, but it doesn't change what's really inside you. Okay, yeah, so you, you become a clown and you, you kind of join the entertainment world, and then you become an hypnotist. So how does that come about? 
Well, when you're a clown and you are doing nine children's birthday parties a day, and they each one hour full blown Steffi the Clown shows, giving you absolute awe. You arrive in your little convertible with the air horn hooter that goes kokukaracha, kokukaracha, and uh, the kids are going crazy. But you really are believing doing what you do, do well. And that's one of my work mottos is whatever you do in your life, do it with gusto, do it properly. Some people are completers, some people are perfectionists. We're not all made of the same uh, mold. I decided why not do one show in the evening that could kind of earn me the same as uh, nine clown shows. Now, I might sound like the biggest capitalist in the world when I'm saying this, and it was just about money. But when you're a youngster and you're 24, 25 years old, and you don't know what your financial future looks like for yourself. And you have parents who have immigrated to, uh, to South Africa from Belgium with absolutely nothing, just enough money to buy a bicycle and a bridge. Then you start to think to yourself, I need to earn some money for myself. And folks, I wanted to be absolutely crystal clear that the world does not revolve uh, um, around money. In fact, it's one of the things that I stand strongly against now because we are uh, getting more and more pushed towards narcissism and towards capitalism and consumerism and having more and more and comparing ourselves with the Joneses. It stinks. But when you're a youngster and you're thinking, why should I do nine kids' birthday parties a day when I can do one hypnosis show at night? And bingo, some magician friends told me about this hypnosis course going, I had no idea I was going to be a hypnotist. Uh, I do a pretty successful show, as uh, Sid might like to say. <laughs> Indeed. And uh, it's, yeah, interesting. We all have our, our paths, I guess, and, and our awakenings as we go along, you know, and, and maybe our, our motivations early on are not the same ones that we have now because we all grow. That's the whole idea, I guess. So. Indeed, like knowing you pretty well, you never seem to be working. You know, you, you make kind of a firm rule for yourself not to work more than six months of the year ever. Uh, and, and also, sometimes you've worked even less than that. And, and you kind of have this philosophy of working smart, not hard, or not a lot. But you don't mind working hard. That I know. But maybe explain your thinking on that point. Yeah, yeah. So like the hypnosis show, you know, um, I, obviously I was delving into something completely new, having studied industrial psychology and always been interested in psychology and people. I have to turn back time a little bit towards some of my life goals. But, you know, when I was 19 years old, uh, one of the things I kind of heard or read was take a pen and a paper and write down your life goals. Really important to do. And I actually did that thing when I was a, a youngster. One of them was to visit 100 countries in, in my life, which today is easier than easy because with uh, low-cost airlines, well, not at the moment, of course, no one's going anywhere. Uh, then uh, another life goal was um, uh, to sail around the world once in my life, which I have not achieved. I wanted to earn a million dollars by the time I was 30 years old. Um, also a dream that, sure, it was actualized, but it didn't, wasn't important for me at um, and now today it's irrelevant and uh, one of the other goals and the most important one was to learn to know people as well as anybody could know somebody so that's obviously a difficult one to define and there's no measure of that you and i cannot compare each other and say oh you know people better than me so it's a very abstract one but it was something that worked with me all my life to study children at kids' birthday parties while I'm doing a clown show because my clown show became, you know, doing 2,000 kids' birthday parties, you do the same show. It's like the same recording comes out of your mouth. So you have time to study people. And then you'd look at the children and you'd say, ah, oh, that child's like this. 
Maybe their parents are like that. Oh, and their parents are like that. Oh, wow, I judge it right. Oh, maybe this child's going to be like this. This child is like this. It's a naughty brat. I want to throttle it. Maybe its parents are like that. Oh, its parents are not like that. Why not? And I look into the parents. So I'm always studying people. And I think it's a good thing for some young people to kind of consider to do is take a mission of looking and learning, sit back, listen, and really appreciate that. Uh, so that took me one step further. Work is defined in different ways. A few minutes ago, you were gardening. Beautiful, therapeutic, fantastic. And from your garden, Cedric, you're going to put some food on the plate, which is what we really have to do. Uh, speaking to Witness, my manager, a few days ago, I asked him, what's going to happen after Corona? I mean, what, where, where do you see yourself in five years' time? And he said, I'll return to rural Zimbabwe, grow some vegetables, and that'll be my life. Beautiful, touching, and really sobering. What, we don't need more. You don't need to think, I've got to start a business. I've got to do something. That brought me to the idea of the podcasts. Why did I create them? How did it come to this? Well, I don't need to leave a legacy. I don't need to have somebody say, wow, the great Steph Juncker, did you hear about him? Communication. I believe that problems of every level, from the UN to Donald Trump and the WHO, to you and I having a fight because uh, you've put my um, leopard uh, print G-string on uh, and I have a problem with that. Any kind of problems in our world, communication. So communication, one of my ideas for a podcast in the next series, sorry, I'm jumping the gun on one of your questions, Said, is um, have a really, really open channel where people can really speak their minds. I dropped on the idea of podcast very simply by listening to one or two that are paragliding related and had a little look and I thought, wow, there's very little. Why don't I just make a few podcasts? And it actually is really simple and easy to make. Let's talk about the paragliding now into your life and how does that come about? Creating the very first paragliding business in Africa? How? Why? I mean, I, mean, I think we already gather why because you're a man who will go and check things out and try things and if it's something that you like and it's something that you're passionate about, then you throw yourself the whole lot in and off you go. Again, I, I, I believe that things happen for a reason. And I believe that if there is a small little thing, you need to listen. You need to look like the idea of the podcast. It could be that we uh, wake up one day and go, oh, actually, a lot of people seem to love podcasts. I've never listened to a complete podcast in my life, not one. But to listen to somebody for an hour and 15 minutes with my attention span, it has to be done in three chunks. I have a film collection of three uh, of 3,000 films, and I really have a hard time sitting through a good film, even in one city. So the tandem business, I got asked by somebody, would you be a tandem pilot in Austria in the freezing cold? And I left Cape Town at 34 degrees, Landed in Zurich the very next day on a spontaneous whim, and it was minus 11 degrees. A 45-degree difference downward. And the next um, two days, I was uh, paragliding in minus 15 degrees in the Stubai And that's how the whole thing began. I uh, looked at the tandem business in Austria, and I thought, wow, such a tandem paragliding business has got to be working in Cape Town. Brought that idea back to Cape Town. Today, I have 15 competitors on the mountain and uh, I started the original tandem paragliding business in Africa, which is great. But with 15 competitors, all doing the same thing and all vying for the same pie, you can see that sooner or later, it's going to go bad. 
How did you get into doing these podcasts? I know you were a DJ at university, yeah. a radio station for about three years or so. Um, and you also did some outside yeah. functions, but, but you know, how did you decide now? Okay. Um, why actually, because how we know now you've already explained that you've listened to a few podcasts. Okay. So why thank you, uh, Seth, uh, is important for me because a message needs to be told. Why not? People love it. And people seem to love to just listen and look at something great. Uh, the world's top uh, aeroglider pilot, Chris, Christian Mara, the other day, or Krieger Mara, rather, he, he made a little instructional thing in this time of lockdown. I had two weeks in lockdown extended after our three weeks here in South Africa. And I thought, before I go completely crazy on this beautiful farm that I'm staying, I'm not allowed to paraglide. I'm using my mountain bike every day. I'm rock climbing, but I need to stimulate. goes back to working smart and not hard about doing something quite simple like this. My uh, uh, telephone right now is... Uh, on a, a toilet roll <laughs> holder. Fantastic. Wing it. Make it simple. Yeah, no, that's great, man. Um, so the future for the podcasting is what you've just described. And uh, we, we're hoping to see a whole lot of series coming out from your side, basically. That's what we can hope for, right? Absolutely. We have a mutual sport, you and I said, kitesurfing. There's rock climbing, there's mountain biking, there's every kind of sport, but it's not limited to sport. Let's talk about any specialization of any person. You and I are very specialized with what we do. Maybe there's somebody who's going to spend five euros, 50 euros to listen to the world's greatest experts on any single um, topic. A friend of mine recently uh, in France, and France is of course a very social state, so the the government pays a lot towards the training of paraglider pilots. And he has gotten a syllabus on mental training for pilots in general. It's written in French. It's written in France. How simple is that? To take that, to transcribe it into English, to feed the English-speaking world of mental training for pilots, not just paraglider pilots, all pilots around the world. Maybe an accident like the German wings, a terrible incident where the pilots took the plane down purposefully with 150 people in it, could be prevented. Maybe by doing these podcasts, one person gets one paragliding tip out that saves his life. My job is done. Yeah. Well, I think also, uh, and that's just my personal point of view, is uh, I think that whatever is going to do exactly what you described as opening people's minds and, uh, and, and making them understand that, you know, the mind should be an open parachute rather than a falling rock. That's for sure. I mean, I've done 18 podcasts working like an absolute hooligan, lying in a bush where the signal has been good. Now I find a Wi-Fi router. I know this all sounds arcane with people who have got fiber in their houses, but I'm on a farm here. And when I want to do something, I really would like to do it. Like many people who have got their minds properly set on something. And not. So it's all about sharing. I believe that we've got a big, big problem, and maybe I'm part of it here. Maybe this is it. It's called the selfie syndrome, narcissism. It's about us looking at, back at ourselves and being trained. If I'm grossed out by a lady, um, I don't know, Eastern European, if I guess, maybe Russian, she was on a boat, a, a crowd ferry in Japan last year, taking selfies of herself for the whole 45-minute ride. She needs to, so she asks, a German lady to take some photos of her. This ferry is crowded. 
she pushes, actually manhandles a man away so that he's out of her shots. What the fuck kind of thinking is that, I say? My biggest belief is that respect for the fellow human being is being eroded out of our society faster than we can, than we can uh, imagine it. And I'd like those ideas to go out there. I'd like people to, to send me messages and say, podcast me. I've got something really interesting to sell or to not to sell, an idea to sell, something positive that will help the world. This idea of narcissism, this idea of more and more and capitalism and all it's about is the BMW we drive or uh, the Louis Vuitton uh, bag that we've paid 4,000 euros for. Yeah. Well, we've got, to, we've got to hope that the crisis the world is going through now is going to be a, some kind of awakening for some people uh, of uh, learning to reappreciate the real things in life rather than hanging on to all this falseness that's been Kind of, that has, was becoming, and it's still present, obviously, it's not going to disappear, but was becoming the normality in life, you know, and we we got to hope that there's something positive that comes out of this crisis. Uh, you know, this gross consumerism that we have, I see a world, and uh, I just want to go back on what you, uh, you mentioned a moment ago, out of the 18 people who I've done podcasts with and recorded, and I'm uploading them not all in one bash, but obviously just slowly, slowly, most every single one of them has said exactly what you've said. Let's hope that we come out of this thing with something extremely positive and a proper reset, stop, switch the machine off and reset it. But unfortunately, us as humans, we have a long time to change our thinking. We have slowly been taught that what CNN, uh, other two major um, news networks in the world that dominate 90% of what is fed into our brains, and if it's this political alliance or that one or to buy more of this and to buy more of that, I mean, it's just unbelievable what's going on in our world with regards to consumerism, consumerism, for example. There are thousands and thousands of football shoes that are lying in cupboards in Germany. Do you know a child in Zimbabwe, in rural Zimbabwe, where their parents are prepared to work for one US dollar a day? How appreciative they are when you bring them a nearly new pair of football shoes that a person in Germany is only so happy to know that it's gone to them. We need to press stop. We need to press pause. We need to stop producing, producing, and producing. We are all ignoring the problem that the world is completely being uh, screwed over. The environment is being completely shagged. And every single one of us, even the impact of corona on the environment, is scary for me to think about. How much uh, production and waste and all of that kind of thing we've had to do just to kind of address this one little virus, which could be a little hoax, or it could be bloody scary. I mean, I, over 150,000 people are dead today on the 20th of um, April, as we record this. You know, well over 2 million people in the world have got it. And those are those that have been tested. So, you know, we have to come out of this thinking differently. One of the projects I do is bringing these uh, uh, secondhand clothes that I either buy ver for very cheaply or I get given in Germany. We have to think about reusing what we have on this planet as opposed, as opposed to rehashing. So these are just some of the ideas that I think we need to talk about. I have ideas for travel podcasts. I have ideas for economic rethink uh, podcasts. That's me, Sid. Excellent. This is it. We're recording this one. Unedited. No, nothing. I love it. Sid, cool. Fun and Scrick, an absolutely fantastic guy. You can check his music out. You can go and have a look at him. He's a gem of a man. 
sed1.com is how you reach him. C-E-D number one dot C-O-M. My name is Steph. Thanks a lot for listening and uh, please enjoy the podcast. Please share and please send it back and um, wonderful. Cheers, guys.